Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome back to the Daily Duff Differently. Today's Duff is Yoma Kaf Zayin 27. Once again, I am David Wise, rabbi in Hollis Hills, Queens. We'll spend much of our time today on the subject of a czar, a non-Kohen, participating in the sacrificial service. There are two major sugyot that touch on this, and we'll take a moment to consider the larger issues behind the Talmudic give and take. So, near the very bottom of Yoma Kafavav, as we finished up yesterday, the Mishnah said rather cryptically that the laws of both flaying and dismembering the sacrificial beast are equal. The Gemara immediately introduces a Baraita that clarifies the what uh, is equal. That is, both Hefshet and Nituach may be done by a Tsar. Then the Brita continues with a textual affirmation by Chizkiah. The evidence comes from chapter 1 of Vayikra. First, the Torah said, The burnt offering shall be flayed and cut up into sections. Then, in the next verse, as the Talmud says, we read, The sons of Aaron the priest shall put the fire on the altar. As the Gemara then infers, Netinat Eish Bayakuna, Hefshet Vinituach La Bayakuna. The placing of fire requires priestly status and participation. Flaying and dismembering don't. And what comes next is an elaborate back and forth, very much in the style of Midrash Halacha, in which the words of Torah are mined with great delicate care for practical guidance. A word's presence or absence in or from the Torah can teach us a great deal, but they also can't teach us too much. I might learn one point of law from a word's special appearance, but that law and that law only, I can't go overboard and derive multiple rulings from one textual curiosity. Rav Shimi Bar Ashi found Abaye teaching this Baraita to his son, and Abaye explained it as follows. Because the Torah makes the Kohen's role specific to the receiving of the slaughtered animal's blood, Kabbalah Tadam, we can assume that from that action and onward in the sacrificial procedure, only a Kohen may participate. But up until the specific mention of a Kohen, other actions, including shechita, slaughter, may be done by a czar. Why then do we need the words uv? Why then do we need the words of Enatnu b'nei Aharon, the sons of Aaron the priest, shall put the fire on the altar, especially since this happens after Kabbalat Hadai? The Gemara answers, to remind us that other roles, such as Hefshet v'nituach, flaying and dismembering, don't require a Kohen. 
And yes, there's more back and forth, as the Gemara suggests that these verses may be coming to teach us other laws, such as Sidur Eitzim, the arranging, uh, arrangement of kindling materials on the altar. Or maybe the similarities of certain jobs as a factor, and so on. Ultimately, we learn that the textual source for allowing a czar to do hefshet and nituach, flaying and dismembering, is in Vayikra chapter 1, verse 9, where we read, Vihiktir hakohen et hakol hamizbecha, and the priest shall turn the whole into smoke. Hekter must be done by a kohen made explicitly so to exclude Hefshet and Nituach, leaving those tasks open and available to a czar. <coughs> One other sugya, an extended sugya, deals with the role of a czar in the sacrificial process. Rabbi Asi said in Rabbi Yochanan's name, Zar shesideret ha-ma'aracha chayav. A czar who laid the pile of wood on the altar incurs the penalty of death. He's done what only a Kohen may do. So the Gemara asks, what should he do to rectify this? It answers, He should take it apart and put it back together. That brings an incredulous reply from the Gemara. How does that help, they ask? Apparently, the answer didn't identify the people behind the pronouns. So the Gemara says, let me restate. Ella porkazar visodra kohen. A czar takes it apart, and a kohen rearranges it. Meanwhile, Rabbi Zera is troubled by the strict ruling not only restricting the czar from this task, but taking him to task for the trespass and holding him accountable to such a degree as being chayav mitah. V'chiyesh lecha avodah shekshera balayla upsila bazar. The Gemara asks, Rabbi Zera asks, is there really sacred service that may be performed at night but is still off limits to a czar? And when the Gemara nonplussed suggests a series of tasks that are indeed nighttime rituals, but for Kohanim only, the Gemara rejects them all as being not purely night tasks. So the Gemara says, Vel Akasha, this is indeed a problem for Rabbi Yochanan. How does the Gemara resolve the challenge? By telling us that Rabbi Asi misrepresented Rabbi Yochanan's teaching. What Rabbi Yochanan really said was that a czar who does the arrangement of Shnei Gezirei Eitzim, the two logs of wood, well, that czar is in trouble because that's a daytime task when a czar is much more limited in what he may do. Then, Rava offers a challenge that the Gemara introduces with the words Matkifla. As Rabbi Adin Steinzelt's commentary notes, the f- this phrase, Matkifla, introduces a challenge brought on the basis of logic, not from precedent, a known authoritative source. This will prove to be an important distinction. Rava's challenge is, Elameata tibae pais. If this is so, would not the assignment of Sidur Shnei Gzirei Eitzim have required a pais, a lottery? 
And then, in the most delicate way it can, the Gemara answers Rava's challenge, offered on the basis of logic, by reminding him and us that we don't use logical reasoning when we have a clear tradition on record. It must have slipped Rava's mind that there is a Brita that says that whoever won the Pais to do Trumata Deshen also got to set up the pair of logs. The Gemara doesn't want to say to or of Rava, Domi, you forgot. So it tells us, almost in a side whisper, that Rava had so much stored in his memory that it's understandable that this piece of information seeped out, leading him to ask a most unnecessary question. We can certainly learn from the Gemara's dignified style of pointing out mistakes with subtlety. Would we smack our hands on our foreheads and roll our eyes when someone forgets something obvious? Or could we address the brain cramp more discreetly like the Gemara does? I'll close with a word about the Gemara's fascination with the Tsar participating in temple ritual. Does Midrash Halakha, the derivation of law, from a fine reading of scripture simply demonstrate uh, that the rabbis can, can so cleverly read the Bible? Or is there a deeper desire to widen the playing field of the sacrificial system? Are the sages telling us how much the Kohanim made available to the public when the temple stood? Or are they presenting their vision of a more egalitarian ritual practice should the temple be restored? Again, it's not just that the rabbis, especially the, Mora, the Amoraim, never saw the temple. They never saw the temple in action. Is the work of the Gemara retrospective or a prospective look at what might be? I don't know enough to answer, but I thought I'd pose the question. I've enjoyed walking us through Yoma this week, and I hope to be back sometime on the Daily Duff Differently. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.